Welcome to Sleepy Time Travels. So, this guy, John G. Nehart, spent 20 years writing three books. For The Song of the Indian Wars, the one we'll sample in this episode, he extensively researched, traveled to the locations of the battles, and interviewed many of the great Native American chiefs and U.S. cavalry officers who were still living a hundred years ago. But for all that fact and detail, he gives us not a dry account of the last days of the Indians as a free people, but a beautiful, lyrical picture of an epic struggle in an awesome landscape. My name is Russell Stamets, some people like to fall asleep to the audiobooks I narrate. Most of these texts come from the dusty, forgotten world of the public domain. If you'd like to hear more of the audiobooks I sample on the podcast, or check out the rest of my catalog, search Russell Stamets on Audible or iTunes. I'll include links to the audiobooks and the Kindle and print editions in the episode description. If this is something you enjoy listening to, besides buying the books, you can support me by rating the podcast, following, or subscribing. Now, it's time to get comfortable, settle back, relax, and listen. Serenely now, the ghost of summer dreamed on Powder River. T'was the brooding time with nights of starlight glinting on the rhyme that cured the curly grass for winter feed, and days of blue and gold when scarce a reed might stir along the runnels, lean with drouth. Some few belated cranes were going south, and any hour the blizzard wind might ball, but still the tawny fingers of the fall lay whist upon the maw of winter. Thrice the moon had been a melting boat of ice among the burning breakers of the west, since Red Cloud, bitter-hearted, topped the crest above the fort and took the homeward track, the bad face Ogallalas at his back, and some few brules. Silently he rode, and they who saw him bent as with a load of all the tribal sorrow that should be pursued the trail as silently as he, a fateful silence, holding little good, beyond the mouth of bitter cottonwood. They traveled, onward through the winding halls, where plat is darkened, and the listening walls heard not of laughter, heard the ponies blow, the rawhide creak upon the bent travaux, the lodgepoles skid and skitter in the sand nor yet beyond, amid the meadowland, was any joy, nor did the children play, despite the countless wooers by the way, wild larkspur, tulip, bindweed, prairie pea, the shadow of a thing that was to be, fell on them too, though what they could not tell. Still on, beyond the horseshoe and la prele, they toiled up sage creek where the prickly pear bloomed gaudily about the camp. And there the Cheyenne, black horse, riding from the south, came dashing up with sugar in his mouth to spew on bitter moods. 
Come back, he whined. Our good white brothers call you, being kind and having many gifts to give to those who hear them. But the braves unstrung their bows and beat him from the village, counting coups, while angry squaws reviled the traitor too, and youngsters dogged him, aping what he said. Across the barren Cheyenne watershed their ponies panted, where the sagebrush roots bit deep to live. They saw the pumpkin buttes from Dry Fork. Then the powder led them down, a day past Lodgepole Creek. Here Red Cloud's town, with water near and grass enough, now stood, amid a valley strewn with scrubby wood, and idling in the lazy autumn air, the lodge smoke rose, the only idler there. For all day long the braves applied their hate to scraping dogwood switches smooth and straight for battle arrows. And the teeth that bit the gnarly shaft put venom into it against the day the snarling shaft should bite unceasingly from morning until night. The squaws toiled that their fighting men might eat, nor be less brave because of freezing feet. By hundreds they were stitching rawhide soles to buckskin uppers. Many drying poles creaked with the recent hunt, and bladders packed with suet, fruit, and flesh were being stacked for hungers wetted by the driving snow. Fresh robes were tanning in the autumn glow for warriors camping fireless in the cold, and noisily the mimic battles rolled among the little children grim in play. The village had been growing day by day since Red Cloud sent a pipe to plead his cause among the far-flung Tetons. Hunkpapas, unhurried by the fear of any foe, were making winter meat along Moreau. The day the summons came to gird their loins, the San Arcs, roving where the Belle Forche joins, the Big Cheyenne, had smoked the preferred pipe. When grapes were good and plums were getting ripe, Amid the Neobrara meadowlands, and up the white, the scattered brulee bands that scorned the talk at Laramie had heard. Among the black hills went the pipe and word, to find the Minaconjo killing game, where elk and deer were plentiful and tame, and clear creeks bellowed from the canyon beds. Still westward were the double Cheyenne heads, the hunting Ogallalas hearkened to. So grew the little camp, as lakelets do, when coolies grumble to a lowering sky. Big names, already like a battle cry, were common in the town, and there were some in which terrific thunders yet were dumb. But soon would echo fearsome and abhorred, croaking, Bigfoot, the younger hump, and sword, blackleg and black shield, touched the cloud and gall and that one fear would trumpet over all. Young Crazy Horse and Spotted Tail, the wise, Red Cloud and Man Afraid, both battle cries, rain in the face, yet dumb, and sitting bull. T'was council time, for now the moon was full, the time when, ere the stars may claim the dark, a goblin morning with the owl for lark steals in. And ere the flags of day are furled, pressed white against the window of the world, 
a scarred face stares astonished at the sun. The moon set and the sunrise came as one. But ere the daybreak lifted by a span, the frosty dusk, the teepee tops began to burgeon, and a fairy sapling grove stood tall to bloom in sudden red and mauve and gold against the horizontal light. Still humped, remembering the nipping night, the dogs prowled, sniffing round the open flaps, where women carved raw haunches in their laps to feed the kettles for the council feast, amid the silence of the lifting east. The criers shouted now, old men and sage, using the last sad privilege of age for brief pathetic triumphs over youth. Neat saws and bits of hortatory truth they preferred with the orders of the day, and names that were as scarlet in the gray of pending ill they uttered like a song, the names of those who, being wise or strong, should constitute the council. Round and round, the focal centers of a spreading sound, the criers went. The folk began to fuse in groups that seized the latest bit of news and sputtered with the tongue of fool and seer. A roaring hailed some chanted name held dear, or in a silence, no less eloquent, some other, tainted with suspicion, went among the people like a wind that blows in solitary places. Day arose, a spear-length high. The chattering became a baited hum, for, conscious of their fame, and clad in gorgeous ceremonial dress, the fathers of the council cleft the press in lanes that all ran on before to clear and expectation closed the flowing rear, sucked in to where the council bower stood. Long since the busy squaws had fetched the wood and lit the council fire, now smoldering. The great men entered, formed a broken ring to open eastward, lest the light should find no entrance. And the leaders of the blind see darkly too, with reverential awe the people, pressed round the bower, saw the fathers sit, and every tongue was stilled. Now Red Cloud took the sacred pipe and filled the bowl with fragrant bark and plucked a brand to light it. Now with slowly lifted hand, he held it to the glowing sky and spoke, Grandfather, I have filled a pipe to smoke, and you shall smoke it first. In you we trust to show good trail." He held it to the dust. Grandmother, I have filled a pipe for you, he said, and you must keep us strong and true, for you are so. Then, offering the stem to all four winds, he supplicated them that they should blow good fortune. Then he smoked, and all the fathers after him invoked the mysteries that baffle man's desire. Some women fetched and set beside the fire the steaming kettles, then, with groundward gaze, withdrew in haste. A man of ancient days, who searched a timeless dusk with roomy stare, and saw the ghosts of things that struggle there, before men struggle, now remembered those with might to help. Six bits of meat he chose, the best the pots afforded him, and these he gave in order to the mysteries, the sky, the earth the winds, as was their due. Before I eat, I offer this to you, 
He chanted as he gave. So all men should. I hope that what I eat may do me good, and what you eat may help you even so. I ask you now to make my children grow to men and women. Keep us healthy still, and give us many buffalo to kill, and plenty grass for animals to eat. Some youths came forward to parcel out the meat, in order as the counselors were great, in deeds of worth, and each, before he ate, addressed the mystic sources of the good. The feast now being finished, Red Cloud stood, still pondering his words with mouth set grim. But men felt thunder in the hush of him, and knew what lightning struggled to be wise behind the hawk-like brooding of the eyes, the chipped flint look about the cheek and jaw, the humming of a hustling autumn flaw in aspen thickets swept the waiting crowd. It seemed his voice would tower harsh and loud. It crooned. My friends, t'was many snows ago when first we welcomed white men. Now we know. Their hearts are bad, and all their words are lies. They brought us shining things that pleased the eyes, and weapons that were better than we knew. And this seemed very good. They brought us to the spirit water, strong to wash away the coward's fear, and for a moment stay the creeping of old age and gnawing sorrow. My friends, if you would have these things tomorrow, forget the way your fathers taught us all, as though you planned to live till mountains fall. Seek out all things men need and pile them high. Be fat yourself and let the hungry die. Be warm yourself and let the naked freeze. So shall you see the trail the white man sees. And when your teepee bulges to the peak, look round you for some neighbor who is weak and take his little too. Dakotas, think. Shall all the white man's trinkets and his drink, by which the mind is overcome and drowned, be better than our homes and hunting ground, the guiding wisdom of our old men's words? Shall we be driven as the white man's herds from grass to bitter grass? When Harney said, his people, seeking for the yellow let, would like an iron trail across our land. Our good old chieftains did not understand what snake would crawl among us. It would pass across our country. Not a blade of grass should wither for that passing, they were told. And now when scarce the council fire is cold, Along the little piney hear the beat of axes and the desecrating feet of soldiers. Are we cowards? Shall we stand unmoved as trees and see our motherland plowed up for corn? Increasing as he spoke, the smothered wrath now mastered him and woke. The sleeping thunder all had waited for. Out of a thrilling hush he shouted, War! a cry to make an enemy afraid. The grazing ponies pricked their ears and neighed, recalling whirlwind charges, and the town roared after like a brush jam breaking down with many waters. When the quiet fell, another rose with phrases chosen well to put the tribal wrath and took his seat amid the crowd's acclaim. Like chunks of meat, flung bloody to a pack, Raw words were said by others, and the rabble's fury fed 
outgrew the eager feeding. Who would dare to rise amid the bloodlust raging there and offer water? Spotted Tail stood up, and since all knew no blood was in the cup that he would give, dumb scorn rejected him. He gazed afar, and something seen made dim the wanted quizzic humor of the eyes. The mouth, once terrible with battle cries, took on a bitter droop as he began. Hey, 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 so laments an aging man who totters, and can never more be free as once he was. Hey, 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 so may we exclaim today for what the morrow brings. There is a time, my brothers, for all things, and we are getting old. Consider, friends, how everything begins and grows and ends, that other things may have their time and grow. What tribes of deer and elk and buffalo have we ourselves destroyed? lest we should die. About us now you hear the dead leaves sigh. Since these were green, how few the moons have been. We share in all this trying to begin, this trying not to die. Consider well the white man, that you know and what men tell about his might. His never-weary mind and busy hands do magic for his kind. Those things he loves we think of little worth. And yet, behold, he sweeps across the earth, and what shall stop him? Something that is true must help him do the things that he can do, for lies are not so mighty. Be not so stirred by thoughts of vengeance and the burning word. Such things are for the young, but let us give good counsel for the time we have to live, and seek the better way, as old men should. He ended Yet a little while he stood, abashed and lonely, seeing how his words had left as little trace as do the birds upon the wide insouciance of air. He sat at length, and round him, crouching there, the hostile silence closed, as waters close above the drowned. Then Sitting Bull arose, and through the stirring crowd a murmur woke, as of a river yielding to the stroke of some deft swimmer. No heroic height proclaimed him peer among the men of might, nor was his bearing such as makes men serve. Bull-torsed, squat-necked, with legs that kept a curve to fit the many ponies he had backed, he scarcely pleased the eyes. But what he lacked of visible authority to mold men's lives was compensated manifold by something penetrating in his gaze that searched the rabble seeming to appraise the common weakness that should make him strong. One certainty about him held the throng, his hatred of the white man. Otherwise, conjecture, interweaving truth and lies, wrought various opinions of the man. A mountebank, so one opinion ran. A battle shirking intimate of squaws. A trivial contriver of applause. A user of the sacred for the base. Yet there was something other in his face than vanity and crowd. And there were those who saw him in that battle with the crows, the day he did a thing no coward could. There ran a slew amid a clump of wood, from whence, at little intervals, there broke a roaring and a spurt of rifle smoke that left another wound among the zoo. 
Now Sitting Bull rode down upon the slough to see what might be seen there. What he saw was such as might have gladdened any squaw, a wounded warrior with an empty gun. Twas then that deed of Sitting Bull was done, and many saw it plainly from the hill. Would any coward shun an easy kill and lose a scalp? Yet many saw him throw his loaded rifle over to the crow, retreat a space, then wheel to charge anew. But with a riding quirt he countered coup and carried back a bullet in his thigh. Let those who jeered the story for a lie behold him limping yet. And others said he had the gift of talking with the dead and used their clearer seeing to foretell dark things aright, that he could weave a spell to make a foeman feeble if he would. Such things the people pondered while they stood and searched them with a quiet, broad-browed stare. Then suddenly some magic happened there. Can men grow taller in a breathing span? He spoke, and even scorners of the man were conscious of a swift, disarming thrill the impact of a dominating will that overcame them. Brothers, have you seen the way the spring sun makes the prairie green and wakes new life in animal and seed, preparing plenty for the biggest need, remembering the little hungers too, the same mysterious quickenings make new men's hearts. For by that power we also live, and so till now. We thought it good to give all life its share of what that power sends to man and beast alike. But hear me, friends, we face a greedy people, weak and small, when first our fathers met them, now grown tall and overbearing, tireless in toil. These madmen think it good to till the soil, and love for endless getting marks them fools. Behold, they bind their poor with many rules and let their rich go free. They even steal the poor man's little for the rich man's wheel. Their feeble have a god their strong may flout. They cut the land in pieces, fencing out their neighbors from the mother of all men. When she is sick, they make her bear again with medicines they give her with the seed. All this is sacrilegious, yet they heed no word and like a river in the spring, they flood the country, sweeping everything before them. T'was not many snows ago they said that we might hunt our buffalo in this our land forever. Now they come to break that promise. Shall we cower, dumb? Or shall we say, first kill us, here we stand? He paused, then stooping to the motherland, he scraped a bit of dust and tossed it high against the hollow everlasting sky, all watched it drifting, sifting back again, in utter silence. So it is with men, said Sitting Bull, his voice now low and tense. What better time, my friends, for going hence than when we have so many foes to kill? He ceased, as though they heard him speaking still. The people listened, for he had a way that seemed to mean much more than he could say and over all the village cast a spell. At length some warrior uttered up a yell. The common hate, t'was like the lean blue flash that stabs a sultry hush before the crash of heaven-rending thunder and the loud assault of winds. Then fury took the crowd and set it howling with the lust to slay. 
The counselors were heard no more that day, and from the moony hilltops all night long the wolves gave answer to the battle song and saw their valley hunting grounds aflare with roaring fires and frenzied shadows there that leapt and sang as wolves do, yet were men. Long since the column, pushing north again with Carrington, had left the little post on Laramie, unwitting how the ghost of many a trooper, lusty yet and gay, disconsolately drifting back that way, should fill unseen the gaps of shattered ranks, scarce moved to know what shadows dogged their flanks, till all the winds that blew were talking spots, and draws had ears, and every hilltop eye, and silence, tongues, the seven hundred went. How brazenly their insolent intent was flaunted. Even wolves might understand these men were going forth to wed the land and spawn their breed therein. Behold their squaws. Could such defend the great white father's laws? So weak they were, their warriors hewed the wood. Nor did they tend the pots as women should nor fill them. Powder River caught the word of how they swam their long-horned cattle herd at Bridger's Ferry. Big Horn and the Tongue beheld through nearer eyes the long line flung up Sage Creek Valley, heard through distant ears the cracking lashes of the muleteers. The day the sandy trail grew steep and bleak, the rosebud saw them crossing Lightning Creek, whence Southward, cone outsoaring dizzy cone, until the last gleamed splendidly alone, they viewed the peak of Laramie. When high between the head of North Fork and the dry, they lifted cloud peak scintillant with snows, the Cheyenne hunters and Arapahoes, far flung as where the wind becomes the horn, discussed their progress. Spirits of the morn that watched them break the nightly camp and leave, outwinged the crane to gossip with the eve in distant camps. Beyond the lodgepole's mouth, relentless red cloud pouring on the south, could see them where the upper powder ran past Reno post and counted to a man the soldiers left there. Tattlings of the noon were brooded by the glimmer of the moon in lands remote, till, pushing northward, yet past Crazy Woman's Fork and Lake Dismet, they reached the big and little piney creeks. Some such a land the famished hunter seeks in fever dreams of coolness. All day long the snowborn waters hummed a little song to virgin meadows, till the sun went under. Then tardy freshets in a swoon of thunder that deepened with the dark went rushing by, as t'were the night herself sang lullaby till morning. Cottonwoods and evergreens made music out of what the silence means in timeless solitudes. And over all, white towers dizzy on a floating wall of stainless white, the Bighorn Mountains rose. Absaraka, the country of the crows, a land men well might fight for. Here they camped, rejoicing, man and beast. The work mule champed the forage of the elk and rolled to sate his lust for greenness. Like a voice of fate, foretelling ruthless years, his blatant bray, with horns of woe and trumpets of dismay, crowded the hills. 
the milk cow and the steer in pastures of the bison and the deer lowed softly, and the trail-worn troopers went about their duties, whistling, well content to share this earthly paradise of game. But scarcely were the tents up when there came, was it a sign? One moment it was noon, a golden piece hypnotic with the tune of bugs among the grasses, and the next, the spacious splendor of the world was vexed with twilight that estranged familiar things, a moaning sound as of enormous wings flung wide to bear some swooping bat of death awakened. Hills and valley beheld their breath to hear that sound. A nervous troop horse neighed, shrill in the calm. Instinctively afraid, the cattle bellowed and forgot to graze, and raucous mules deplored the idle day's untimely end. Then presently there fell what seemed a burlesque blizzard out of hell, a snow of locusts, tawny flakes at strife, that, driven by a gust of rabid life, smothered the windless noon. The lush grass bent, devoured in bending. Wagon top and tent sagged with the drift of brown corrosive snow. Innumerable hungers shrilled below. A humming fog of hungers hid the sky until a cool breath, falling from the high white ramparts, came to cleanse the stricken world. Then suddenly the loud rack lifted, swirled to eastward, and the golden light returned. Now, day by day, the prairie people learned what wonders happened where the pineys flowed, how many wagons rutted out a road to where the pines stood tallest to be slain. What medicine the white man's hand and brain had conjured, how they harnessed up a fog that sent a round knife screaming through a log from end to end, how many adzes hewed, and how the desecrated solitude beheld upon a level creekside knoll the rise of fitted bowl on shaven bowl until a great fort brazened out the sun. And while that builded insolence was done, far prairies saw the boasting banner flung above it, like a hissing adder's tongue, to menace every ancientry of good. Long since and oft the workers in the wood had felt the presence of a foe concealed. The drone of mowers in the haying field was silenced often by the rifle's crack, the arrows were, and often forging back with lash and oath among the logging road, the scared mule-whacker fought behind his load. His team a kicking tangle. Oft by night, some hilltop wagged a sudden beard of light, immediately shorn, and dark hills saw to glimmer sentient. Hours of drowsy awe, near dawn, had heard the raided cattle brawl, afraid of alien herdsmen, bugles call to horse, the roaring sally, fleeing cries, and oft by day, upon a distant rise, some naked rider loomed against the glare with hand at brow, to shade a searching stare. Then, like a dream, dissolved in empty sky. So men and fate had labored through July to make a story. August browned the plain, and ever Fort Phil Kearney grew amain with sweat of toil and blood of petty fights. September brought the tingling silver nights, and men worked faster, thinking of the snow. Aye, more than storm they dreaded, 
friendly crows had told wild tales. Had they not ridden through the Powder River gathering of Sioux? And lo, at one far end the day was young. Noon saw the other. Up along the tongue big villages were dancing. Everywhere the buzzing wasp of war was in the air. October smoldered goldenly, and gray November sulked and threatened. Day by day, while yet the greater evils held aloof, the soldiers wrought on wall, stockade, and roof against the coming wrath of God and man. And often where the lonely home trail ran, they gazed with longing eyes. Nor did they see the dust cloud of the prayed-for cavalry and ammunition train long overdue. By now they saw their forces cut in two, first Reno post upon the powder, then Fort Smith upon the bighorn, needing men, and here the center of the brewing storm would rage. Official suavities kept warm the wire to Laramie, assurance bland of peace now reigning in the prairie land. Attest the treaty signed, so said the mail. But those who brought it up the Bozeman Trail two hundred miles could tell of running fights, of playing tag with terror in the nights, to hide by day. If peace was anywhere, it favored most the growing graveyard there, across the piney, under Pilot Hill. December opened ominously still, and scarce the noon could dull the eager fang that now the long night wetted. Shod hoofs rang on frozen sod. The attenuated whine and sudden shriek of buzzsaws biting pine were heard far off unnaturally loud. The six mule log teams labored in a cloud. The drivers beat their beasts with aching hands, as yet the snow held off. But prowling bands grew bolder. Weary night guards on the walls were startled, broad awake by wolf-like calls from spots of gloom uncomfortably near. And out across the crystal hemisphere, weird yammerings arose and died away to dreadful silence. Every sunny day the looking-glasses glimmered all about, so Clinging to the darker side of doubt, men took their boots to bed, nor slumbered soon. It happened on the sixth December noon that from a hill commanding many a mile, the lookout, gazing off to Piney Isle, beheld the log train crawling up a draw, still halfway out. With naked eye he saw a lazy serpent reeking in the glare of wintry sunlight. Nothing else was there, but empty country under empty skies. Then suddenly it seemed a blur of flies arose from each adjacent gulch and break, and swarming inward, swirled about the snake that strove to coil amid the stinging mass. One moment, through the ill-adjusted glass, vague shadows flitted. Then the whirling specks were ponies with their riders at their necks, swung low. The lurching wagons spurted smoke. The teams were plunging. Frantic signals woke the bugles at the fort, the brawl of men obeying boots and saddles. Once again, the sentry lifts his glass. Tis like a dream. So very near the silent figures seem a hand might almost touch them. Here they come, hell-bent for blood, distorted mouths made dumb with distance. One can see the muffled shout, the twang of both of Leaping fog blots out the agitated picture, flattens, spreads, 
Dull rumblings wake and perish. Tossing heads emerge, and ramrods prickle in the rack. A wheel mule, sprouting feathers at his back, rears like a clumsy bird essaying flight, and falls to vicious kicking. Left and right, deflected hundreds wheel about, and swing to charge anew, tempestuous galloping on cotton. Empty ponies bolt away, to turn and stare high-headed on the fray, with muted snorting at the deeds men do. But listen how at last a sound breaks through the deathly silence of the scene. Hurrah for forty troopers roaring down the draw with Fetterman, a cloud of beaten dust sent scurrying before a thunder gust. They round the hogback yonder. With a rush, they pierce the limpid curtain of the hush, quiescing in the picture. Hurry, men, the rabid dogs are rushing in again. Look, hurry. No, they break midway. They see the squadron dashing up. They turn. They flee before that pack of terriers, like rats. Yell, yell, you lucky loggers. Wave your hats and thank the captain that you've kept your hair. Look how they scatter to the northward there, dissolving into nothing. Ply the spurs, you fire-eaters. Catch that pack of curs this side of the Reno, or they'll disappear. Look out. They're swooping in upon your rear. Wherever did they come from? Look, good God. The brakes are held belch ponies, and the sod on every side sprouts warriors. Holy spoons. The raw recruits have funked it. Turn, you loons, you cowards. Can't you see the captain's game to face them with a handful? Shame. Oh, shame. They'll rub him out. Turn back. That's not the way. We did it to the Johnnies many a day in Dixie. Every mother's baby cries as though it mattered if they saved their hides. Their empty faces gulp the miles ahead. Ride on and live to wish that you were dead. Back yonder, where the huddled muskets spit against a sea. Now. Now you're in for it. Here comes the colonel galloping like sin around the hill. Hurrah, they're falling in. Good boys, it's little wonder that you ran. I'm not ashamed to say to any man I might have run. Ah, what a pretty sight. Go on. Go on and show them that you're white. They're breaking now. You've got them on the run. They're scattering. Hurrah, the fight was done. No victory to boast about indeed, just labor. Sweat today. Tomorrow, bleed. An incidental difference. And when the jaded troopers trotted home again, there wasn't any cheering. Six of those clung dizzily to bloody saddlebows. And Bingham was the seventh and was dead. And Bowers, with less hair upon his head than arrows in his vitals, prayed to die. He did that night. Now thirteen days went by with neither snow nor foe and all the while the log trains kept the road to Piney Isle. Soon all the needed timber would be hauled, the work be done, then snugly roofed and walled. What need for men to fear? Some came to deem the former mood of dread a foolish dream, grew mellow, thinking of the holidays, with time for laughter and a merry blaze on every hearth, and nothing much to do. As for the bruited power of the Sioux, who doubted it was overdrawn a might? At any rate, they wouldn't stand and fight unless the odds were heavy on their side. 
It seemed the colonel hadn't any pride. Too cautious. Look at Fetterman and Brown, who said they'd ride the whole Sioux Nation down with 80 men. And maybe could, by Ching. Both scrappers, not afraid of anything. A pair of eagles hungering for wrens. And what about a flock of butchered hens in Pino Valley not so long ago? But for the colonel? Bowers ought to know. Go ask him. Thus the less heroic jeered. These redskins didn't run because they feared. Twas strategy. They didn't fight our way. Again it happened on the 19th day. The lookout saw the logging train in grief, and Captain Powell, leading the relief, returned without a single scratch to show. The 20th brought neither snow nor foe. The morrow came, a peaceful scarlet morn. It seemed the homesick sun in Capricorn had found new courage for the homeward track. And, yearning out across the zodiac to cancer, brightened with the conjured scene of grateful hills and valleys flowing green, sweet incense rising from the rain-soaked sward, and color shouts of welcome to the Lord and Savior. Ninety took the logging road that morning, happy that the final load would trundle back that day and all be well. But hardly two miles out, the foemen fell upon them, swarming three to one. And so, once more, the hilltop lookout signaled woe and made the fort a wasp's nest of buzzing ire. The rip and drawl of running musket fire, the muffled rhythmic uproar of the Sioux, made plain to all that what there was to do out yonder gave but little time to waste. A band of horse and infantry soon faced the colonel's quarters, waiting for the word. Above the distant tumult, many heard his charge to Powell, leader of the band, and twice twas said that all might understand the need for caution. Drive away the foe and free the wagon train, but do not go past Lodge Trail Ridge. A moment's silence fell, and many in the aftertime would dwell upon that moment, little heeded then. The ghostly horses and the ghostly men, the white-faced wives, the gaping children's eyes, grown big with wonder and a dread surmise to see their fathers waiting, giant tall, that mumbling voice of doom beyond the wall, the ghastly golden pleasance of the air, and Fetterman, a specter, striding there, before the colonel, while the portals yawn. As vivid as a picture lightning drawn upon the night, that memory would flash, more vivid for the swooping backyard crash of gloom. Twas but the hinges of the gates that shrieked that moment, while the eager fates told off the waiting band and gloated, Done. He asked for eighty. Give him eighty-one. Then Fetterman, unwitting how the rim of endless outer silence pressed on him, and all his comrades spoke, What deference due to Captain Powell, Colonel, and to you, I claim command as senior captain here. So ever is the gypsy danger dear to courage, so the lusty woo and wed their dooms, to father in a narrow bed, a song against the prosing after years. And now the restive horses prick their ears and nicker to the bugle. Fours about, they rear and wheel to line. The hillsides shout back to the party, forward. Now it swings high-hearted through the gate of common things, 
to where bright hazard, like a stormy moon, still gleams round Hector, Roland, Sigurd, Fionn, and all the lost, horizon-hungry prows, eternal and contemporary now, heave seaward yet. The colonel mounts the wall, and once again has heard his warning call. Relieve the wagon train, but do not go past Lodge Trail Ridge. And Fetterman, below, turns back a shining face to him, and smiles across the gap that neither years nor miles may compass now. A little farther still they watched him skirt a westward-lying hill that hid him from the train, to disappear. He'll swing about and strike them in the rear, the watcher said, and have the logging crew for anvil. Now a solitary Sioux was galloping in circles on a height that looked on both squadron and the fight, the prairie sign for many bison seen. A lucky case shot swept the summit clean, and presently the distant firing ceased. Nor was there sound or sight of man or beast outside for age-long minutes after that. At length a logger, spurring up the flat, arrived with words of doubtful cheer to say. The Indians had vanished Pino way. The train was moving on to Piney Isle. He had no news of Fetterman. Still awake? If you'd like to hear more of The Song of the Indian Wars, just search Audible or iTunes or Amazon for the Kindle and print editions. I'll put links in the episode description. And again, please follow, subscribe, give five stars, or let me know in any way that you enjoyed your trip.